get into God's Word. I'm going to be sharing from uh, Luke chapter 9. And um, as I've been going through these series of messages about the disciples and what they've been doing, some of the stories I've been sharing with you have had some time gaps. But this past month, they've actually been following each other. And today's story will mean a, even a little bit more if you keep in mind what we've been sharing. So again, think about what we, last week we talked about the Peter, James, and John who saw the transfiguration. And, and the one story I did not share with you, but that happened in between there was the other disciples were at the bottom of the mountain waiting. And while they were waiting, they encountered a difficult situation. They had to pray for a demon-possessed boy. They couldn't deliver him. When Jesus came, he brought deliverance. So keep those two stories in mind as we pick up this next one, just following the, the next sequence here. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 says, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. Do you think, just for a moment, Peter, James, and John started that argument? I mean, just, just think about this. We don't, we don't know, but we can ask these questions. It's always good to ask questions. Do you think Peter, James, and John... I kind of think that Peter, James, and John, after coming down from the mountain, seeing Jesus transfigured, seeing Moses and Elijah... I mean, think about this. You know, again, like we, we read the Bible so fast sometimes, it's good to just pause... Think about what James and John and Peter witnessed that day on the mountain. They saw Moses and Elijah. Wow. I mean, that was something else. And then they come down, and here were the disciples, and they were, they were an ept. They couldn't deliver. They had delivered. They had been a part of miracles before. Jesus had used them, and they had prayed. But this time around, they couldn't even deliver this young boy from demon possession. Do you think Peter, James, and John kind of started the argument like, oh, come on, guys, you couldn't really? I mean, you made Jesus come all the way down in the mountain to, to help you out here. I mean, if I was here, surely he would have been delivered. He would have been set free. I mean, after all, Jesus took us up on the mountain to see him transfigured. And I'm sure, you know, the disciples were like, well, yeah, Peter. Well, weren't you the one that Jesus looked at and said, get behind me, Satan, after you shared your awful idea? And then maybe there the, the argument ensued. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I'm just thinking here. I'm just wondering what started this argument. Why did they have this argument of who was the greatest? Well, you can look at this, and I can look at this, and I hope you look at this and think, how childish. I mean, how ridiculous. They were fighting, really? The disciples were arguing over who was the greatest? I mean, who does that? Have you ever been in that kind of argument? I'm sure as adults, you've never been a part of that argument of who is the greatest. I know, I, I've never been a part of those arguments, right? Well, maybe on the basketball court. I think I've had that argument uh, once or twice. I don't know you all that well today. Uh, it's only been a year, but has, has anybody had that argument here? Okay, Justin has had... I was wondering... I was really curious. I didn't want to use names, so thank you, Jason, for, for using names. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so see, I mean, how childish. I mean, Dustin, 
I've been childish before on the basketball. Not that I claim to be the greatest, but pretend like, oh, I'm the greatest today. On this court, I'm the greatest. But do you know that the disciples were actually not that off track? As crazy as that sounds, they, they weren't that far off track because they, their idea of greatness was that they wanted to be Jesus' first officer. I want to be closest to Christ. And so this idea of being the greatest was actually a noble pursuit. They just had the wrong reasons. They, didn't, they had the wrong motivation. I mean, a part of it of being close to Jesus was right, but Jesus doesn't rebuke their pursuit of greatness. He just has to correct it. Let me tell you today, Jesus wants you to be great. I love some of these. These are some of my favorite scripture verses. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ as he gives me strength. Is that a great verse? Is that a great accomplishment? Absolutely, to do all things as Christ gives you the strength. I love John 3.30 where John the Baptist declared, I must decrease so that he increases. Do you think if Jesus increases in your life, you're going to do great things? Absolutely. I love Galatians 2.20 where Paul declared that I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live for the Son of God. That is a great scripture verse. I want to declare to you today that Jesus wants you to be great. I want to uh, share this story with you because God's greatness is not just in the happy times. God's greatness actually is clearly seen in the difficult times of life. That is when God's greatness is clearly seen. I'll share this story with you. My mom and dad, who were our pastors, uh, and they were they, this was years ago, that they were praying for one of a, a, a lady that we called Sister Helen growing up in our church. Uh, my dad was an associate pastor there, had a full-time job as associate pastor there. But my parents were going to pray for Sister Helen because she was dying. And so my parents, who knew her well, spent some time with her. And at the end of their time, of course, my dad said, Sister Helen, we want to pray for you. And Sister Helen said, no, you're not going to pray for me. I'm dying. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to achieve everything that I've longed for, everything that I've desired in life. I'm going to where I have always wanted to be. You're not praying for me. I am going to pray for you. And my mom and dad were just amazed at that. When they shared that story with me, I'm like, yes, I want that to be me. I want, that's a great story. That's a great uh, example of faith. That's a great example of knowing who you are and where you are going, that you don't fear death. You look at death and you, you embrace it because you know death is just a doorway. You know death is just a new beginning for you. For the Bible declares, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That is greatness. And so Jesus didn't rebuke the disciples for using the idea of being great. He explains it. Now, Matthew's gospel explains this a little bit better. So, in Matthew chapter 18, the same story, but let me just, Matthew explains it a little bit more. So, verse 2 says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, no, no, you can pursue greatness. 
yeah, yeah, I want you to pursue greatness. I want you to be great. But let me explain greatness to you. He brings this little child to them. He says, this, this is the pursuit of greatness. This is what you're pursuing. The disciples are wanting to pursue control and wanting to uh, pursue a title. I am the greatest of Jesus' disciples. And Jesus says, it's not a title that you should be after. It's not control or power or money that you should be after. This is what you should be after. Becoming like a child. Now, the first thing that Jesus does is that he gets rid of the idea that this title is just for one person. This title is just given to a person. And no, no, that's, that's not the truth of it is. You can be great. And you can be great. You can all be great. You just have to become a little child. Because when we look at true greatness, true greatness is not the revelation of man's abilities. True greatness is the revelation of God. That's greatness. When God is revealed through you, that is great. What you and I can accomplish in life is not true greatness. It's wonderful. And some of the things that you've done, I'm amazed. I don't really, and I hate to confess as well, I'm, you guys already hired me already. I don't have a lot of great skill. Did you know that? I don't know how to fix a car. I don't know how to build things. I don't know. I mean, I just don't have a lot of talented Areas. I could play basketball, but really, who wants to watch me play basketball? I mean, I want to watch Phil Ackland build a house. Wow, that's amazing. You know, some of you who have made businesses from the ground up, that's amazing to me. Wow, I mean, but you had that skill set. You know, why, uh, let's, let's, you know, you're picking on Dustin. I want to watch Dustin, you know, remodel an old kitchen to be a brand new. I mean, I'll watch that. You know, that's amazing. Doctors who perform surgery. Wow, that's that's an amazing feat. Those, those things are amazing to me. But true greatness is not the revelation of what you're able to do. True greatness is the revelation of God living in you. That is true greatness. And I have to share, I'll just be really honest, I'll share this really, uh, well, it's part of my story that you know of, but I'm going to tell on myself this morning, because what are we really after Sometimes we are kind of sometimes after titles. Sometimes we're after recognition. I want to be recognized for what I've accomplished in my life. And I can tell you, I had that struggle with God. You know, you know my story. I was in Utah for 21 years. And I think I've shared this part of the story, so sorry if I bore you again. But I went out to Utah in 1997 to help plant the church. That was a volunteer position. The job I got was teaching at a Christian school. And after a year of teaching at that Christian school at another AG church, that pastor asked me to join his staff as the junior high pastor. It was a part-time position, but it was like, oh, I'm going to get my first position. So in 1998, I became a part-time junior high pastor. Four months later, they brought me on as a full-time youth pastor. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. 1999, I had my first full-time position. Two years after that, I became the senior associate uh, pastor at that church. So in 2018, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the next step. And God shut the door of my ministry in Utah. And I, was, I had this, you know, these brief moments with God. I'm like, God, are you not following my story? Like, wouldn't this be a great book? He started as a Christian school teacher. Did his time here and did his time there. And now he's a lead pastor at the same church. 
God, wouldn't this be an awesome thing to tell people? I was at the same church for 50 years. I did all of my ministry at one church. Wow, I mean, God, I mean, and I, and I started reasoning him with him. I'm like, wouldn't that, wouldn't, think of the clout I would have in a city. And God had allowed me to do some great things there in that city. I had a community center. I was on the boards of hospitals. I, I had served. I was a part of our city's outreach to mentoring. And so God had allowed me, God had allowed me to do these things. I'm like, God, if I stay here another 25 years, I mean, think of what I could do here. And sometimes our pursuit of excellence and greatness really has to do, and I'm just confessing for me, was I kind of wanted a pat on my back after a while. Like, wow. Because, Lord, I mean, I'm going to go and, and start all over at another church. I mean, I'm going to be like, and I, my, so I went to Chicago, and I was just another associate pastor there, but I was at the bottom there. It was great. My brother's here. It was a good thing. My brother was, he knew the church well, so he was introducing me to all these people. But really, I mean, I was just one of the guys again. Nobody knew me. And so sometimes our pursuit, we have to be careful. Why are we pursuing greatness? Is it about my recognition? Is this about me being recognized? Am I really trying to do the best job so that people can pat me on the back? Or am I really trying to pursue uh, my life and my life's purpose is so that God is glorified, so that He is praised. I want to share with you this scripture verse because this is really what I, I, I want us to be. I want us to be not somebody that's pursuing a title or recognition for my sake. And I think I just lost the scripture verse. I had it highlighted here. And um, here it is, Matthew 5.16. I love this scripture verse. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that you that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know what? I did have those brief moments with God, but I didn't get mad at God when He shut that door because ultimately I said, "Okay, God, fine. You know, your will be done." And I gladly left Utah after 21 years of ministry because I knew God was going to use me if I served at one church for 50 years or if I served at 50 churches for 50 years. It didn't matter. It wasn't about my resume. And it wasn't about the things that the city would recognize in me. But it was about Jesus being glorified. It was about this scripture verse. That, yeah, they'll see good works in me, but they're not going to praise me. They're going to praise Jesus. They're going to honor Him. They're going to get all the glory. God is going to be glorified through my life. And I want you to be great. And I want you to be the best at your job. And I want your business to be successful. And I want all that you endeavor to do to be successful. But not so that you get all the praise. But so that God gets all the praise. That He is glorified. That He is worshipped. So Jesus was clarifying with the disciples I know, what you're, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if, boy, if I get the title of the greatest, people are going to pat me on my, on my back. You know, you see this Jesus challenged to the Pharisees. He's like, oh, I know what you're after. You want the best seats at banquets. You want people to say, oh, there's rabbi. You want people to recognize you. And this is, life is not about that. It's not about people recognizing you. It's about people acknowledging the God in you and that the promises of God that are alive in your life. I want God to be glorified in me. 
And sometimes we can, and even as a pastor, I can think, oh, pastors are great who write 10 books. That's a great pastor. Oh, the pastors who are serving churches of 10,000, those are great pastors. No, Jesus, I want to declare to you, greatness is not found in numbers, and greatness is not found in money, and greatness is not found in power, and greatness is not found in our titles. Jesus said greatness is found in a child. It's found in a child. Now, what is so great about a child? Why would Jesus use a child to explain greatness? Well, one of these things, that's one of the obvious Jesus gives, he, he says this, he says, you have to humble yourself as a child, okay? So true greatness is about being humble. And really, that's the opposite message of greatness from the world, right? The world proclaims greatness as somebody who's achieved something. You've conquered something. You've dominated. You've dominated the competition. So you must be great. And Jesus says, no. True greatness is when you are humble. When you are like a child. There's one more thing I want to point out to this morning. And this is what, what kind of my main point. And I'll finish with this. I believe there is a lot of reasons why Jesus chose a child to give an example of greatness. But there's one I want to focus on this morning, and it's this. I believe a child is great because a child is dependent. A child is dependent. I think that's the, one of the great aspects of a child, is that they, they depend on us. You know how this works. When they're born, they depend on their parents for everything. They can't even hold the bottle in their mouth. They need you to hold the bottle or whatever the process is. They need you for everything. You have to change them. You have to, you have to feed them. You have to burp them. You have to put them to sleep. You have to wake them up. Everything, every aspect of their life, they depend on you. And, of course, they get a little bit older, and now they can hold their bottle, or they can eat themselves. But they still need you. They still need parents. They still need guardians to give them food. They, need, they still need the, that provision in their life. And, and they still depend on you for everything. They're still at home. They're not going anywhere because you still provide everything for them. And you know how it works, parents. I've seen it. I've, I've seen parents post these things or talk about these things because the day comes when now they're driving, now they're going to school on their own, and now they are becoming what? They're becoming more independent. And we start as parents, and not, we're not there yet, but the day will come when we start as parents missing what? You start missing the dependence of your children. I, I miss that my kids want to be with me. I miss that my kids want to hang out with me. Now they're independent of me because they have friends. They don't need me anymore to hang out. They don't need me anymore to take them to the mall. They don't need me any, anymore. They have their life now. They're becoming independent. And we begin as parents to miss the beauty of the dependence of our children. And can I tell you this? God loves when we're dependent on Him. He loves that. You know, for us right now, uh, Alexandra, I've shared this before with some of you. She's so funny. When she was a toddler, when we would, when she was small enough and light enough to walk around with her, she never wanted us to hold her. She always wanted to be on the ground and on the move. 
Now that she's older and 30 pounds later, she wants me to carry her all the time. Am I telling the truth? She wants me to carry her. And I'm like, oh, Alexandra, why didn't you let me carry you when you were younger? But guess what I do? I carry her. And why do I carry her? And we were, you know, downtown Chicago, and it's muggy down there, and she wants me to carry her. Why am I carrying her? Because I know the day will come when she's not going to let me carry her anymore. And if I have to sweat and be muggy and I'm, you know, I'm tired, I want somebody to carry me, I gladly, I gladly carry her because I know the day will come when she will be independent. And I'm going to miss that dependence that she has for me. And the same is true for God. Do you know the Israelites had become independent of God? God had showed them the way. He showed Moses, Moses, this is how you worship me. Moses, this is how you live for me. Moses, this is how you bring me into your situations. And the Israelites said, okay, we learned from Moses. We can do this on our own. We no longer need you, God. And so God in flesh comes. Jesus, the Son of God, comes talking to them and teaching them and beginning to change them. And they said, we don't need you. We don't need you, God. We're independent of you. We don't need you anymore. We know how to live life. We know how to conquer our enemies. We know what it means to love you, God. We don't need you to tell us anymore. We're independent of you. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus brings a child. He says, you have to become like a child. You have to become dependent. And I want to share with you today that God wants us to depend on him. It's a message I continue to share with you, and it's a message I never get tired of reminding you. When you read your Bible and pray every day, you know what you're doing? You're displaying dependence on God. I know, and I keep talking about you, so I hope you don't get tired of this. You guys are smart. I know that. You can live life without reading the Bible and praying. You can do it. You can absolutely do it. I know you can do it. And chances are, most of you will succeed in life. You'll succeed with, without ever reading this Bible, without ever praying. You, you'll be a, you know, you'll, you'll figure things out. But I hope you're learning a lesson from the Israelites that life is so much better. Life is so much sweeter, and you'll do so much more. You'll do more than have a successful business. You'll do more than have a successful career. Those are great, and those are fine and dandy. But I can tell you, nobody's talking about my aunt who just passed away about her career. No, they're talking about the love of God that she had. They're talking about her faithfulness. They're talking about those things. Your career, when, you're all, when it's all said and done, your career and your accolades aren't going to give you peace when you're facing death. It's going to be the faith you have in God. It's going to be your relationship you have with Him. It's going to be those moments where you were in God's Word, when you were praying, when you were depending on God. Because when you depend on God, God comes near to you. When you are humble and you draw yourself closer to God in dependence, then God's presence comes into your life and you do great things. You do greater things than you would ever do on your own. I want to encourage you today. And what Jesus said, he said, you need to repent. Repent of your independence. Repent that I can figure this out on my own. Repent that you've said that I, I, I know what I need to do. Do you know, I pray every day 
not because I'm a pastor. I pray every day because I'm dependent on God. I am dependent on God. I want you to know that. I need Him. I want Him. I need His help. I need His guidance. I need Him. I pray, you know, we're, we're building home. I pray about God. What, do you, what kind of refrigerator do you want us to have? I do pray about those things. I don't pray about those things for hours, but I pray about them. I pray about you for hours. God, help me to lead this church. Help me, oh God, to be a good father. Help me to be a good husband. I pray. I depend on God for everything. And I want you to have that same desire. God wants you to have that same dependence on Him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Um, they're going to sing a beautiful song that I think just, just uh, again, you know, I don't always tell them. I didn't tell them, obviously, to sing this song. But God always works it out. He knows exactly what we need to hear this morning. And we need to come to God. We need to come to God as a father. Just like I love Alexandra today, she, you, you might see her, she'll, well, she's with her friends, but you know, if you stay here long enough, she gets tired, she wants me to carry her, and I'm going to gladly carry her because I love that she depends on me. God does too. God loves it when you come into his arms. God loves it when you say, God, I, don't, I, I know I can buy a car without you, but which one do you want me to buy, God? God, I could probably figure out how to deal with this co-worker, but God, I want you to help me. Help me, Father. God loves it when we come into his arms. He loves it when we depend on him. Would you stand this morning? Father, I just want to pray for your spirit to touch our lives. Lord, I just want your presence to come. I want your spirit, oh God, to come. You are our perfect Father in heaven. And I pray as your children, we will always depend on you. Help us, God, to look to you for help. Our country needs more of you. Our city needs more of you. Lord, I pray more than ever before, we will depend on you. Speak to our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. May we make our confession this morning that we need you. That we need you. Yes, Jesus.